You're listening to The Plan Podcast, episode number 17, and today's episode is my very first guest interview, and today I'm sitting down with my friend Marla Berg, who I've known for the past three years. Marla is based in Madison, Wisconsin, so her and I first met when I was living there, and we've also co-taught some workshops together, and she's just a really incredible person. We have really good chemistry together, so I knew she would be someone I could talk to for an hour. Um and who would give me some grace as I kind of fumbled along with figuring this whole thing out. And I knew I had questions for her. So I knew the interview would come naturally. Marla owns three businesses. And so she always has a bunch of projects up in the air. And she's one of the few people in the world that I feel like can kind of relate to my career path and my businesses and what I do. And um, she she just is, she's so fun and so creative and she is a photographer. So she does really beautiful natural light portrait photography. She also owns a social media kind of content creation agency similar to like what I do, but she focuses on food brands and restaurants. And then she also has a new endeavor she started called Borrowed Bar, which is a really cool service where you can rent out this creative, gorgeous, branded tap wall for your special event, your wedding, your graduation, your backyard barbecue, whatever. Um, And you've got to find that one on Instagram. It's just so cute and such an innovative idea. And so today we're going to sit down with Marla. We're going to hear a little bit about what it's like having so many businesses to run, combining it with motherhood. Um, And she's got just some great advice for you guys about organizing businesses, what it takes to start a business and be self-employed. And I just really hope that you enjoy hearing from Marla, getting to meet her. And thank you for tuning in today. Thanks for tuning in to The Plan Podcast. We don't know everything, but we're putting together a plan to figure it out. One topic, an episode at a time. If your goal is to live better, do better, or be better, then this is the podcast for you. So grab your favorite pen, folks, and let's make some plans with your host, Danny Bruflot from Time is Honey. All right, Danny, let's get planning. Okay, so we're on with Marla Berg. Thank you so much for being on the Plan Podcast. Hi, Danny. So Marla and I met, I think it was about three years ago now, um, at Revel, which is in Madison, Wisconsin. And it is a really cool like craft bar thing that our friend Sarah owns. And I remember like that first initial day, there weren't a lot of us there. It was kind of a small, intimate group, I would say. But what I do remember is that by the end of the day, you had invited me to like road trip to Waco, Texas with you. (laughs) And I think that that's a a very good way to just summarize Marla in a nutshell. Like you met a stranger, invited me to road trip to Waco to like (laughs) hunt down Joanna. Um, And that was that. The rest is history. <laughs> well, it, you might not know this, but I, I've invited lots of strangers um, since I've met you now to random road trips that have never happened, but in my heart they've happened. <laughs> A random part of that story that just came back to me right now that I had completely like put in the back of my mind was that at the time we had also been talking about how Sarah's <laughs> husband had somehow <laughs> gained ownership of a uh green bay packer bus and it was like decorated and all decked out and we were like yeah we're taking the packer bus like to waco oh it's too bad that never came to fruition it sounds like a great time (laughs) okay but anyway and so since then marley and i met at revel three years ago been friends ever since we actually started teaching workshops together where i would teach kind of photography and strategy 
and Marla would teach styling and composition. We did that for a long time together. Marla also did all of my branding photography that's on my website right now. Let's dive in and have you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about you and your businesses. (laughs) Okay. Um, More than happy to. So I'm Marla Berg. Uh, I live in Madison, Wisconsin. I've been in Madison for about 10 years. Um, Before Madison, I was working um, in Chicago for 10 years uh, where I met my now husband. Um, We have two kids, uh, a eight-year-old and a nine-year-old. And we have a two-year-old white German shepherd. And uh, we really love Madison. We, we we wouldn't imagine raising a family anywhere else. I started uh, working for several different companies in Madison. When I moved here, I kind of bounced from job to job doing different project management, um, consulting and um, marketing gigs. Um, as a full-time worker, I was struggling with a lots of different work-life balance issues. So um, about four years ago, I decided to quit working full-time and uh, approach um, working on my own. So um, enter the random and the crazy. Uh, over the last few years, I've started three different businesses, all which are running and functioning. Um, maybe some better than others. Uh, So I run two sister brands. One is Marla Berg Photography. Uh, Marla Berg Photography is based um, on fresh modern portraits for families, kids. Um, It's it's something that I've been doing for 10 years, but I've been doing uh, really focused for the last four or five years. Uh, The sister company is called the Food Court Agency, and the Food Court delivers high-quality photography for culinary brands as the focus. We do shoot and provide digital media content for culinary lifestyle, housewares, um, packaged goods, but uh, we're, we're really honing in on local businesses, small businesses, and nationwide businesses that um, at the heart of what they're doing is, is food-based. Then finally, there's Borrowed Bar. So Borrowed Bar is an idea that I had in the middle of the night that I somehow was able to pull off. And uh, it's based out of Madison, Wisconsin as well. And the 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 gist of it is if you throw a party where you have lots of drinks and the drinks are coming out of a keg. So kegs are kind of a big deal uh, in the Midwest. I grew up in Boston where there wa- wasn't a lot of keg parties as far as I knew, but the culture in the Midwest is really big on getting beer kegs. So what you do is you plop a keg down in a backyard and you pump the keg and you pour the the beer or the drink out. If you see those at parties, it doesn't look that great. It's not very cute. So Borrow Bar is a tap wall that you can put in front of the keg and it puts the keg on gas. So you would walk up to this wall that's customized for your event. So it could be happy birthday. It could be, you know, congrats on the wedding, whatever you want. And you walk up and pull pull a tap handle to get the beer or the beverage out. So we rent those, we customize those and rent those across the Midwest. And I've been doing that for the last few years. 
as a side hustle to my other hustles. Um, so that's the three businesses, the photography, the digital uh, content for social media, and then Borrowed Bar. There's not very many people I know that do what I do. And even though you and I don't do really the same thing, you're probably the closest anybody comes to like doing something similar to me or like feeling like, I don't know, like we're peers in some way. And I'm the same way when, when somebody asks me what I do, I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> give me right. 10 minutes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think we've kind of talked about this before, how like we're both just very multi-passionate. We have a lot of interests and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it makes us both interesting, but it definitely is kind of its own little <laughs> own little club. I don't know. We're, we're special people. Right. No, I, I totally agree. I drive in multiple lanes, but I switch lanes very carefully. I'm very considerate of others. If you can't drive in multiple lanes, that's on you. But I do I do go back and forth and I thrive on it. And I think you do yes, too. Yes, totally. So I know you've been a photographer for, obviously you said 10 years, but a long time, something you've been passionate about a long time. But when you decided to branch out and start Food Court Agency, what was something that kind of inspired you to kind of branch out from just portrait photography? So the Food Court was actually birthed out of an idea that I had while working full-time at an advertising agency. I really loved the job and loved the people. Um, a lot of them are still some of my best friends till today. But while working at the agency, you are in a structure and an environment that is really driven by um, the client, uh, kind of like the agency budget and, you know, revenue for the agency to grow. And with that, we would turn down lots of different clients that were too small, um, clients that just didn't really fit um, kind of the the book of business that we were looking for as a as a medium sized agency looking to grow. So I uh, was very intrigued by the idea of branching out and servicing those clients which we were turning down. So the easiest way to kind of branch out and do something is to really focus in on one thing that you're good at. And since I was already good at photography and I was already good at staring at food and then consuming food, um, naturally uh, the food court agency was born. Now it sounds pretty big, but it's not, it's, it's literally just me. Uh, and, you know, at any given moment I have a few clients, but um, it's very liberating to be, doing this and servicing the different clients we were turning down before, servicing small businesses who otherwise don't have large budgets but still want quality deliverables. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it started. Just just morphing from working full-time and starting something on my own that uh, fed into my desire to help small businesses. Totally. I feel like that could almost be like my answer as well for um, starting time is honey, like wanting to help small businesses kind of harness the power of social media and learn how it can kind of work for them and gain exposure for them. Um, so I think it's interesting. And yeah, our businesses are very similar in like what we do and the services we offer, but you've always been kind of focused on like food yeah. and the food industry with food court. Right. Okay. So in our prep interview, I asked Marla 
how organized she is. I mean, we know we're going to talk about organization today. <laughs> and I posed the question based on this like quote I had seen on Instagram asking if she felt like she was the fire festival or Marie Kondo, like where she fell. And I loved the <laughs> your response to that. It was like this little hilarious little blurb and I'm just going to read it. So Marla says, I'm more like a nature valley bar. There are some crumbly pieces once you dive in, but at the end of the day, the goal gets accomplished. No crumb left unaccounted for. So I loved that. It was so funny. And um, yep. and then kind of in conjunction with that question I asked for, you know, what your systems are like, how you keep all of these businesses organized and running. And I have to say your response was very organized. Um, but let's kind of summarize it a little bit more and just <laughs> tell people like, what is your number one um, tool or tip for keeping businesses organized? Okay, so I will first start off by saying that I'm a highly visual person and the 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 I don't know need to see things in a visual way um to me is a little hindering because what I'll do is if something comes to me in one form, I will spend time kind of remanipulating it around to the form that I can digest it in. So for example, when you sent me the questions, when I responded, I knew that my responses in my brain would get lost in your question. So I had to color code your question so that I could, if, if I were to lose track, I would literally walk away and then I would never answer your form. So I have to stay engaged. And by doing that, I got to get visual. So um, a lot of the tools that I use are highly visual. Um, also, I am a project manager by professional trade. Uh, I'm trained in project management. I've, I've pretty much have done project management for my whole professional career outside of working by working on my own. So I work heavily in Excel spreadsheets and Gantt charts and kind of project planning things out with dependencies. I do that a lot for clients. I don't do that for myself. For myself, uh, I definitely need to be visual. So. I'll take you through some of the things that I love to use. And then um, if you have any questions, let me know because I use so many things and it's all random. Okay. Yeah. Talk organization to me, baby. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I love using the Happy Planner. Uh, the Happy Planner is pretty popular. It's around. It can look a little um, obnoxious at times. It's it's uh, a very colorful planner, mm -hmm. but you can customize it. But I spend most of my time jotting things down in the Happy Planner. Uh, it has these expandable rings so that you can make it as thin and as thick as you need to. Um, so everything goes in there. So there's a lot of personal and a lot of uh, business, but my calendar starts with the paper uh, happy planner. Once I kind of get things jotted down in the happy planner, it's kind of like set. And then I will take time just on my phone, putting things into the phone. Beyond the Google calendar on my phone and the happy planner, every so often I will use a very large wall calendar. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Lindsay Letters out of um, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. Yeah. So Lindsay has developed some really beautiful art and hand-lettered items. Um, but I think in the last year and a half or so, she came up with these really beautiful wall calendars. There's my Happy Planner. There's my Google Calendar on the iPhone. There's my Creatives Calendar from Lindsay Letters. And then... 
rarely, but necessarily, I will use um, my iPad Pro um, to do just quick like to-do list stuff. Um, so I have um, the Time is Honey daily page, which I think I got maybe like right after I met you because I, did, I didn't know that you were even doing that. And I thought it was really cool that you know, you could print these pages out that were blank and you could use them digitally. So um, in the last year or so, I've had them on my iPad Pro and there's little cool icons about keeping track of your water intake. Daily page is really cool. And I will do that, I don't know, on my off days, which is rare. Sometimes on vacation, if I need to like have a list of things um, with the kids, um, I'll have that. And then finally, I do have a paper journal. This journal is basically a bullet journal. And the concept of the bullet journaling is you have like a free area of writing things down in lists um, to reach a certain goal. So the bullet journal that I have is really cool. It's not any, it's not like a real brand name journal or anything. I found it at TJ Maxx. You could probably find similar at TJ Maxx, Home Goods, Amazon. But this specific one that I have, it um, has lots of grid paper in it and then lots of boxes to just write visually what you're trying to accomplish. And there's areas to start writing um, a path to a certain goal. So it has like lists and then sub lists, but it's all blank um, just with framework for you to kind of get down and dirty. So I use that book to do business planning or do project planning. Um, and it's probably like once or twice a month that I'm in that book. I think you mentioned like a couple of things that are digital, but almost everything you mentioned was handwritten, a lot of paper. Lots of paper. Is that fair? Yes, totally yeah. fair. So I feel like we're very similar where I think... Um, I, I'm just like a paper person. And like, even though I have a couple of online processes that I rely on, like I have to write stuff <laughs> down. Like it has to be on paper for me. Yeah. I'm the same way. I have to start on paper. Um, I feel like when things come to me or when there's plans to be made, if I can scribble them or write them, I have a little bit more control over, you know, how I'm saying it or how I'm, how I'm recording it. And then from there, that, that tactile feeling of writing things down, I can then translate to digital. Yeah, definitely. I like to I have this like theory, this working theory. Okay, I'll run it past you. <laughs> I'll put my tinfoil hat on and run this by you. But I was having a conversation with Josh the other day talking about like the importance of writing things down and how that kind of creates like this connection between like our brain, whatever. And we're talking about how like it's kind of generational, how it's like we're kind of on like the end of this group of people that grew up where everything in school was written by hand and even the teachers were writing on the board by hand and all of that. And how like for yeah. us to feel fulfilled, it's like we have to see it on paper and we need to like check it off. And like we have to get like that satisfaction out of like writing stuff down on paper and how like maybe it's something that's just kind of changing. Like where, right. I mean, kids now that are graduating high school had basically their entire education based really around digital learning. And like my little sister's 18. I don't think she has quite the same connection I do to like writing stuff down on paper. <laughs> No, you're you're absolutely right. And just like a weird side point is that my kids who are, you know, 10 years younger than your sister, um, their handwriting is, my kids' handwriting is super poor. Um, and it's like, it's like an epidemic across, I think, lots of schools where 
handwriting's not even graded anymore. It's not, it's not a part of the curriculum. It's just like a afterthought because they have tablets and they have computers. So the art of writing is, is being lost with this, whatever generation it is. I don't even know what you call them now, post-millennial or something, but yeah, you're totally right. Um, I think, you know, I, you know, I'm I'm 40, so I'm Gen X. But I think that millennial generation and then your sister generation, they are the end of, you know, they're the last of the last. Right. Yeah. It's funny how handwriting used to be seen as like very much an art form and something people were like very judged on. I'm kind of glad that went away because I also have like the handwriting of a serial killer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I do. I think it's kind of funny how it's, yeah, it's, but it also is one of those things where it's like, I mean, why, why spend our time like critiquing kids on how they write when like realistically it's not something they're going to have to use that much. (laughs) So when you say handwriting of a serial killer, do you mean (laughs) that you write like you're putting together cut up pieces of cute letters from a magazine or are you scribbling frantically? (laughs) (laughs) It's like a hodgepodge. Like I have no distinct (laughs) handwriting. Um, My sister, my older sister, like once said, like, I knew that this was from you because you have handwriting like a serial killer. (laughs) I was like, okay, (laughs) fair enough. (laughs) I knew this was from you. (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, Okay. So anyway, what is a skill that you've kind of brought to the table here that you feel like has been the most valuable across the board with your three different businesses as far as getting them up, getting them running? Like if you had one skill that you could not lose, which one would it be? Oh my gosh. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a skill uh, as much as a innate instinct of just doing. Um, I, you know, I grew up kind of, um, in, in two different worlds at some, sometimes we were middle-class and sometimes we were super, super poor. And I've been exposed to different, um, parts of life where I've always wanted to create because I, I didn't have it. It didn't exist. So as an adult, when I build these businesses, uh, it is truly birthed out of the idea of it, it can exist. There can be a, a tap wall in the middle of a backyard. Um, there can be affordable photography for families and, 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 and businesses. Um, so the skill is more of a desire on the inside to create. And then also to create not knowing the outcome, uh, not being afraid to risk, and then not being afraid to fail. So that's kind of what I think fuels all my, you know, randomness and fuels all my uh, desire to, to, to build businesses. But yeah, uh, my skill set is crazy. So I don't even know. I can even hold in. So I, I would say my 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 gutsy drive to create things. Yeah, I think I would almost say it's fearlessness. Like you are a very fearless person. And I think that that is something that tends to set um, entrepreneurs and especially like serial entrepreneurs like us um, apart where it's like yeah. we get an idea in our head. We're going to do it. We don't really care if it fails or it doesn't. And create this design on Instagram. I'm going to launch this new website. I'm going to buy this domain, whatever. It's like I will do it because I genuinely do not care what anyone else thinks. Right. I think that's a really good point. And I'm even going to, you know, one up you on that. I'm going to say, yeah, you, you don't care. But I think that, you know, indifference is built into the fact that you know who you are. So when you know who you are and you know what defines you, 
the the mm-hmm. boundaries you have for yourself, um, you know, and and the the framework which you work in has nothing to do with anybody else because your definition is so strong. And, you know, by, you know, you know, the collateral, you know, consequence of that is you don't care what people think, but it really is you know who you are so strongly and so soundly that you're just going to do it. I think I agree with that. And I'm very flattered also. So thank you. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So we were talking earlier about kind of how you came to be with Food Court Agency and how you kind of pulled that idea out of your previous like nine to five job. Yeah. And it made me think about how it's kind of interesting how like we're both building careers around something that a decade ago, like didn't even exist. Right. And it's interesting how just like the birth of these like, you know, kind of I don't know what you call them, superfluous, like social media platforms like Instagram and Pinterest and whatever. Like, I mean, they really built careers for people like you and I, um, which is just kind of interesting. But so going off of that, which social media platform would you say has had the biggest impact on you as a business owner? Um, Well, funny story is when I was working at the advertising agency, um, we we would put together digital plans for Facebook and Pinterest and things like that. And um, Instagram uh, had been around, but it wasn't like as big as, as Facebook. And I had a coworker who's one of my dear friends. She was like, are you on Instagram? And I was like, no. And she goes, oh my God, how are you not on Instagram? This is like your world. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't be on that. I'm really confused by it. I don't understand it. She goes, trust me, just use it for like a day. You'll get it. And I was like, nope, I don't want to do it. It looks really daunting. I don't want to be a part of it. So maybe, you know, sometime later I tried it out and literally after a day I was hooked and obsessed and I haven't gone back. Instagram has been a game changer for connecting with other people. Has been the Instagram is how I found Revel in Madison and didn't know anything about um, the owner, didn't know anything about uh, the business, but I found it, and then that led me to you. So it has been a very positive tool for connecting. Also, uh, for my business or businesses. The exposure is just great. And a lot, of, a lot of the times you can get exposure without doing much work. There is paid media, you know, where you, you buy an ad and then there's earned media where just by sharing it and people are engaged, you're earning, you know, you're earning that ad without paying for it. Um, I get a lot of earned media through Instagram. I get a lot of um, leads, exposure, bookings. Uh if you can figure out how to hone in your voice and your brand and um, use hashtags appropriately, Instagram can really work for you. Yeah. And you mentioned just now, but also in your prep interview that almost every single time you post on Instagram for borrowed bar, you get leads like instantly. Um, So kind of going off that, what would you say is your number one tip for a business owner who's trying to generate leads like that through Instagram? Like as far as like, what do you think is kind of your secret there with like either captions or what you're tagging or how you're putting out the content? So you are correct. So borrow bar is an anomaly within my family of businesses or, you know, my enterprise. Call it a kingdom <laughs> or an empire. <laughs> yes. My, yes, my, exactly. Um, Borrow bar gets the least attention. Um, 
it is more of a venture or a project in which I'm kind of grooming. So I don't really put a lot of time and effort into it just yet. Uh, I would love to grow it and have it be a, a super, you know, whiz bang business. But right now, it's a it's just a venture. And when I do put things out on Instagram, I kid you not, there's like ten emails that come in about renting a borrowed bar. So those are leads. Those leads don't, all, don't always convert to you know a paying customer. Maybe. And I'm just going to be totally transparent. Maybe out of every 15 emails I get, two become a rental. So uh, the 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 cost to convert those customers may be a, a little higher than I want, but the leads do come in. And leads are great because leads are leads are eyeballs and their ears and their emails. So even if they don't buy, they may buy in the future. The I haven't done the due diligence to figure out why Barrel Bar performs so well. I've only posted like 20 times. And in those 20 times, I have almost a thousand, you know, uh, followers who uh, are engaged. I will say what I think it is, is that the the Barrel Bar product is is somewhat unique. So when you see it as you're scrolling, you just think the cool factor is there. But also I focus the hashtags. I don't use a lot, but I do focus them on um, geographic locations that I know would be interested in the product. So Madison, Chicago, Wisconsin, Midwest, and then also the time of day. I usually post um, during times where people are maybe in the elevator, you know, going into work or they're at lunch. So I'm, I'm posting at nine in the morning or 12 or one o'clock in the afternoon. If you, if you post, um, in the heat of the workday, um, at least for me, I don't get a lot of response, but if I post right as people are going into work, you know, central time or lunchtime or right around dinner time, uh, I, I tend to get a lot of, lot of, uh, traction with engagement. Yeah. Them posting times. <laughs> it's important. But I also love that your business is, I mean, it's local and obviously you're not hauling these like tap bars around the country. And so you're kind of, your customer um, base is like very focused also. So it's kind of nice because you can focus your strategy like really on like closing in on like the small group of people in Madison who you want to rent to, which has to kind of make things a little more, a little easier, but more impactful too. Right. Exactly. And and one last quick tip is when you do focus on what you're posting on Instagram and the, in the hope for sales, you really have to have your blinders on to competition. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, being aware and intelligent about your competitor is one thing um, for a sound business plan. But when you're creating content and when you're advertising, you you can't feel the urge to mimic or copy your competitor or feel discouraged by how well your competitor is doing or what they're producing. You honestly don't know what they've got going on. They could be in debt. They could be hustling to do the things you know harder than you. They, they could have so many issues and their content could look beautiful. If you chase that... Um, you're just chasing the wrong thing. You have to chase your customer. And by chasing your customer, you'll retool what you're putting out there. Yes. I feel like all social media platforms are such a delicate balance of being inspired and being discouraged. And as business owners, we definitely have to like really kind of protect ourselves from that sometimes. Totally. Yep. Oh man. Okay. You're kind of almost making me tired just 
talking about all that you do and all of the plates <laughs> that you have up in the air spinning, which is saying something because all my plates are up there too. Um, but I'm just so impressed to hear all of this stuff that you're doing, all the stuff that you manage. And then not to mention that you have two very adorable children. <laughs> They're a couple of my favorite little Instagrammers over there. They're just so photogenic and so dang cute. Um, but what, what's your secret here? So how are you, how do you manage motherhood and three businesses? Well, that is a good question. And this could be like its own talk show <laughs> slash podcast episode totally. in itself. Um, I get asked a lot. And, and this question is a double-edged sword. It is the bane of my existence. And it also helps me. But the question I get asked all the time is, how do you do it? And the how do you do it usually comes from people who choose not to do it. And whatever it is, I don't know, but they're choosing not to do what I do or they're choosing not to do it the way I do it. So they ask, how do you do it? And this comes from working moms, stay-at-home moms, you know, IT guys, mother-in-law, whoever. It comes from yeah anybody. Um, and the answer is, I honestly do not know how I do it. I just do. And while I'm doing it, I don't intentionally seek balance. I don't intentionally try to figure out how to be present for my children. Um, I just do what comes naturally that day. Um, I don't I don't have advice for like how to schedule your work and then how to schedule your kids and how to schedule your family life. I do have advice on what not to do. Okay. And one thing you sh one thing you should not do is to feel guilty. So you shouldn't feel guilty about your choice to start businesses, quit jobs, apply for different jobs, leave your children, work till three o'clock in the morning on a hot idea, um, not go to the school play because you got a meeting. All those different things that happen, you cannot feel guilty about. Um, you have to really define what everything means to, to you in your life and hold tight to those definitions um, so that when you do pursue something, whether you pursue to be with your kids instead of do work or whether you pursue work instead of your kids, you can't feel guilty. Um, another thing, another thing that I, I would say is you cannot judge other moms or other parents um, for how they're doing things. Don't judge the other mom. You can't, you can't judge the other parent. You can't judge the other working parent for how they're doing things. You have to really stay in your own lane and just deal with your own situation. If you give energy to trying to figure out, well, how they're doing it or judging them for leaving their kids or, oh, they're on Instagram all the time at all these different places, you really have to stay away from um, putting your own criticism on those moms and those um, parents. Um, that also invites positive energy into your life. And the last thing I would say um, is don't forget to rest. So I, you know, I have two kids, um, they're full of energy and you know, I'm running three businesses and you would be totally disgusted by this, but I'm also the president of the PTO <laughs> at the school. <laughs> <laughs> president of the PTO, uh, I um, 
sit on a board, a local uh, public school foundation board. Um, and I do all kinds of things in the school um, as well, because I love to be present for the kids and be present, you know, just for the community. Um, but at the same time, uh, it is a lot. If you if you look at my life, if you if you were literally standing outside like like it's a wonderful life, and and you you're sitting there with you know I don't know some angel explaining to you how my life goes, you would probably be sick. You'd, you'd be overwhelmed. Um, I I am typically not overwhelmed because I choose to figure out when to rest, or I tell my I just let my body rest. I, if I have to fall asleep, if I have to take a nap, if I have to, you know, just disappear, I will. And that, you know, helps me re-energize and kind of be reinvigorated for both the kids and for, and for both working. Um, there's a quote that's going around that says, um, don't learn to quit, learn to rest. And that's what you can do both in motherhood and being a parent and being, you know, a working person is um, don't quit and don't beat yourself up. Just rest. Yeah, that's so important. Makes me think of, I think I've talked before that Josh and I are interested in fostering. And I looked into yeah. it in Denmark just to see if like, if we decided we wanted to do it sooner rather than later, if it was something we could like dive into. And something they have here is called relief families. And so I thought it was like relief care for, um, children in in foster care so like if you were a foster care parent you could rely on these relief families to like take care of the foster kids and so that seemed kind of interesting but then found and that's something they have in the U.S. so I was kind of familiar with like the concept but then I read into it more and realized that's actually relief care for any parent in Denmark so not just like foster families it's like if you are a parent here and you are in distress or like you just need a break there's like the social service where they will send your children to an approved home for a day or two days or whatever, where you can get this break. And I was like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would hear that and be horrified. Like, oh, I would never send my kids to a stranger. But at the same time, it's like parents need that. And like, not every parent has like a family around or a social kind of circle that can help them. And it's just, it's so important to get those breaks and that rest. And American culture, I would definitely say is like not structured so much to give parents, especially mothers, kind of that necessary break. No, you're totally right. I think that's a really cool service. And I look forward to hearing if you guys pursue it. I think that that is needed. And there's also this, the concept of like, you know, putting on your own oxygen mask first before Mm -hmm. you put someone else's on. Yeah. And that's what, that's where that respite comes in is, um, I can't carry this load right now for the day. You know, can you, can you help? carry the load. That's awesome. And that that can work well with parenting and business. Yes. And so as if you didn't have enough going on between businesses and motherhood, you also adopted a dog about what, like a year ago now? Yep. Uh, a little over a year ago. Yeah. How's that going? Uh, it's going really well. It's really hairy in this house. <laughs> yeah, she's a white German shepherd. Um, so you are covered in dog yeah. study all day. <laughs> But yes. So here's the funny part. Okay. I am 40 years old. And for about 35 years of my life, I have been irrationally and deathly afraid of dogs. Mm-hmm. Like 
to the point where I couldn't be in a room with a dog. Um, if a dog came towards me, I would, I would run. Um, when I was dating my husband, there was this time where we're at his apartment and their friends brought over like this really cute, like chocolate lab puppy. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's a puppy. And this puppy came towards me and I ran in a room and closed the door. And <laughs> my husband looked at me like, oh, what is wrong with you? Um, I don't think he knew, but basically, Danny, when I say irrational, deathly afraid, it was really bad. Um, it took me a while to figure out that most of the fear was um, kind of made up and unfounded. I didn't have any trauma. I didn't get bit by a dog. Um, my dad was afraid of dogs too. Uh, we didn't see it a lot, but maybe mm -hmm. I saw him as a little kid being afraid. And maybe I just kind of thought through a learned experience. But long story short, this dog was being, uh, f uh, I guess, babysat uh, next door by my neighbor who just like, she watches dogs for like an hour for foster, you know, foster parents. Yeah, of, she's of a dogs. foster sitter. And <laughs> foster foster relief care. <laughs> It's the relief care. Exactly. Exactly. So she, she was babysitting the dog and like she brought it over and this crazy dog who looked absolutely like so pathetic and so cute. Cause she had been on a, in a car from Alabama that day. Um, she sat on my feet for like an hour as I talked to my neighbor and as she sat on my feet, um, I swear to you, my connection with this dog. Um, I don't know what it is, but basically a week later I adopted a dog at age, you know, 40 and I had no fear. <laughs> so, so now we have, um, we have a dog and her name is Sasha and she's great. And that fearless, uh, part of me, uh, has never been present when it came to dogs, but I learned to redefine that fear and redefine it towards making a connection and understanding what I'm afraid of. And once I understood, you know, these dogs that I've been around, um, the fear kind of just disappeared. That's awesome. So not only did you get a foster dog or get to adopt a dog, I should say, you also got cured of your fear of dogs. <laughs> cured. Yeah, cured. I know. Awesome. I know. Yep. Totally cured. I love it. Okay. Well, we're kind of getting to the end here, but I wanted to talk about like workshops. And as I said, you and I used to co-teach workshops together. And it was so sad to me when we left Madison and moved to Minneapolis because Minneapolis kind of already had like this plethora of workshops going on. I didn't really feel like there was anything I could really bring to the scene and I never really put any effort into trying to teach there. But I was also really sad to have kind of like left Madison behind. Right. And to not be teaching there anymore. And I did return over the course of the year and co-taught with you again and taught more. Um, but you're also continuing to teach different workshops there and doing a bang up job of it, I will say. Um, what was the dad one that you taught? I don't know if you still do it, but it was like to teach dads how to like take good pictures of their wives and children, <laughs> but it had a really funny name. What was it? It was, yes. So I, I did teach that and I probably, I probably should uh, asked Sarah if she'd want to do yeah. that at Revel just to bring some testosterone into Revel. But it was called Paparazzi. And it was basically <laughs> photography for pops, for, for dads or, or male caregivers. And I just taught how to take better 
photos with your phone or your camera uh, of your kids or, you know, your families. Cause a, a lot of guys, they do take pictures, um, but they're just not into it as much as uh, the girls are as far as like making them perfect. So yeah, it's called paparazzi. Paparazzi. Yeah. You should whip that up into an online course where <laughs> women can like passively aggressively, like enroll their husbands in the course. <laughs> oh my God. I love that genius and just like drop it right in their inbox like here you go learn how to use the camera (laughs) totally I like that idea but yeah I got off course there a little bit but I wanted to give you an opportunity I guess to talk about workshops that you have going on I know you have one coming up on April 6th which unfortunately will be just before this airs but do you have any exciting workshops planned for the spring there in Madison well okay so you can always go to my website which is mbergphotography.com Dot com so m b e r g h photography.com and uh the workshop that i'm teaching um on april 6th is a workshop for like learning how to edit your iphone photos or your smartphone photos i will be offering that again from time to time so on the site just look for you know upcoming dates um i will be doing a really cool mothers day event um, for, well, not even Mother's Day, more for like BFFs or, you know, girls or moms and daughters. It's a floral crown, uh, photo Cute. mini session called Petals and Pixels. So we're partnering with Briar Loft, which is a local florist in Madison. You come in, you grab a floral crown, you put it on your head and you look cute. And you smile for the camera. Um, yeah, so upcoming, there's things you can do. Where come, you can come into the studio and shoot your own flat lay photos. Um, so there'll be date, dates for that. Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah, that one is um, actually picking up steam. People are kind of getting to understand what it is. But basically, you just haul all your stuff into the studio and shoot in daylight. Um, so whether you run a business or a blog or just want to have cute photos on your Instagram, you just bring your doodads in and you photograph them. So yeah, all events and things you can find on the website. Um, but yeah, I or just you know find me on Instagram as well, and I'll I'll always be posting stuff there. Awesome! All of your workshops always sound so fun. It makes me sad when I miss out on them. But let's go ahead and just wrap it up by sharing the best places where people can connect with you. Even though you kind of already mentioned it, but we'll just make it an official thing. Because I do so much, um, the easiest thing to do is just to find me on Instagram. My personal account, it's wide open. Um, it's mberg78. So that's M B like boy, E R G like Gary, H like Harry, 78. And then once you get there, you can see all my cute little pictures and not so cute pictures. And then you can click through my profile to find your way to food court and borrow bar. Perfect. It was so good to talk hey. with you. You too. This was fun. Thank you for tuning in and making some plans with us today. You can find the show notes for all episodes over at planpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to tell someone about it by sharing this episode with them and taking a moment to rate us and review us in the App Store. Don't forget, we've got plans next week, and we will see you then.